Okay. Good morning, everyone. So uh, this this week we're going to kind of just jump right into it, so that we don't spend a lot of time on things that we um, already talked about. I think we've beat that horse pretty well. Um, we we last time started talking about, uh, or we were trying to get into a particular part of the Sunday school that we didn't get to, which is great for me since I didn't have to write too much on it. Um, but um, I did, uh, I was able to kind of, it did give me a chance to review and stuff too. So um, I think that that's good. So um, again, we're, we're, we're going to just jump right into it. Um, we're going to first um, read from scripture. So if you want to turn to 1 John, 1 John um, chapter 3, I believe it is. I don't have it on here, uh, but it's verses 2 through 3. So 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, and of course, after that, we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. The Word of God says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that we can gather on your Sabbath day. Lord, that we can learn. Lord, that we can have the Spirit. Lord, that we pray he would come and illumine us on on this particular passage, but also in the things that will be taught um, from it. Lord, I pray that you would grant us understanding, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for worship, and Lord, that we would be edified and lifted up um, as we come before your throne with boldness, the throne of grace. God, we thank you that we can do so, and it's only because of the mediatorial work of your son, Jesus Christ, that we have that benefit being in him. Lord, we thank you, and we love you. In your name, amen. Okay, so uh, just just quick comments about this particular verse. Um, I know it's rich with past, lots of pastoral gems, but uh, I want to just to say something brief about it pertaining today's Sunday school. Uh, what we are and what we now, what we, what we are now is not what we shall be. Of course, as the text says, and the reason I point that out, the reason for that, the reason why is precisely because we have been transformed by grace as the children of God, right? As the verse says. And given the active power or potency to live the to live pious lives as we journey towards glory, where our natures as humans will be perfected, right? So that's relevant to today's lesson. The reason why I say it's relevant, um, I wanted to first remind us what we are actually going to be kind of learning about, what some of the new concepts that we'll be learning about are today. Um, so last week I mentioned uh, I mentioned. The communicatio idiomatum, okay? And again, just to remind you all, uh, I should probably write that on the board. Um, remind me if you need me to write something, because I don't have one of these at my house. Do I? <laughs> Did you say I do? I have lots of them. Do you have one this big? <laughs> That's not relevant to the point. Um, and again, that's just uh, just a Latin phrase for 
the communication of what we would call the natures in Christ or the communication of properties in Christ, if you want to put it that way. Um, so that's kind of our setting today, and that's where we're going towards. Uh, but before we kind of venture into that particular subject, what I wanted to, uh, what I wanted to do, uh, I thought about, again, subjecting you to the reading of the symbol of Chalcedon or the Chalcedonian definition. Um, it's a wonderful, I don't mean subjection like, you know, that you would hate to hear it. I just mean it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a read. Um, but I wanted to take a part of it because that's the, really the part that we'll be focusing on today. So it says this in the part that I want to focus on. Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusably, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The, and here's the part you really want to grab. The distinction of the natures being by no means taken away by the union but rather the property of each nature being preserved. Very important. Very important that we, that we get that, um, especially have that in the background as our definition. Um, and concurring in one person and one subsistence. Okay? So everybody with me so far? Any questions so far? No? Good. All right. Um, so we've already said, already said that and I'm, I promise I'm not rehashing this again, but we already said that um, a nature is a what, right? What something is. Okay, so we got that much. And we've elaborated, I think, we've sort of, again, beat that horse dead, hopefully, um, as to what that means in distinction when what we mean when we say person. So nature versus person, okay? Now, I will say this, however. We should be careful as we move forward to first kind of shed some light on or elucidate really that what we see now, what we've covered so far regarding how we explain nature doesn't really address another part that I think is relevant to our discussion. It doesn't fully address the capacity of those natures, okay? So when we talk about a what of something, we have to talk about its properties as well, right? So we have to talk about capacity. So in other words, what we haven't addressed is a term that we could... I'm going to introduce you to a new term here. Um, but we haven't addressed what we would call passive potency. Can anybody maybe... It might be an unfair question. Kind of give you a definition of that except for how? No. No, just, just go for it. Okay. See, I'm, I'm getting head shaking. So, so all we mean by that, all that's meant by that, it's very simple. It's the ability to be acted upon. Okay? The ability to be acted upon. That's in contrast to... Potency is just another word for power, too, if you want to think of it that way. Passive power. So, again, you can think of this as capacity... Um, but also, that's in contrast, in a way, to active potency. I can't distinguish between an A and an O. Um, active potency. All right. So, this is the ability to act upon, be acted upon. This is the ability to act. Okay. We would just know, know this as like an act of power. Active power, if you want to think of it that way. All right? 
So if we were to apply this to God, what would we call this? This part, number two. Not number one. I'll explain why in a minute. God has the power to act, right? What would we call that for God? Sort of. Omnipotence. Omnipotence, yes. So, omnipotence. Because he has unlimited active power. Omnipotence, okay. All right. So, now, given what we said, especially with the definition of passive potency, and you'll see why this is relevant, so just bear with me. Um, given what we said about the definition of passive potency is, we of course want to say that the divine nature, well, I'll ask it this way, can the divine nature be acted upon? So does, does the divine nature have passive potency? No. Okay. The divine nature in terms of power has only active potency. That's going to be very important. So, we want to say, of course, that the divine nature does not have any passive potency whatsoever. God is, of course, after all, the plentitude of life. He is perfection. He is pure act. This means that there is nothing that can be given to God. He can receive nothing. He can only give. Again, I'm going to go back to Hal's wonderful analogy about the hand in relationship with the desk. Um, we have a relationship with that desk too, don't we? But the relationship is different. Why? Because we're receiving something from that desk in addition to giving something to it. God is only giving to the desk. Does that make sense? Victor had a very good question. What? So when we say active, mm-hmm. I thought nature <laughs> Right, so are you talking about with God? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so, rem- so remember, and Hal can correct me whether I'm wrong, or any one of you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, remember, nature and existence are the same in God. They're not distinguished like it would be with a human. So, I think what he's asking is, the, like, I thought first, you know, bring in the question of person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What we just simply say is the divine persons uh, of the Trinity, or we could just simply say God mm-hmm. uh, in his unity, uh, is that he has only active potency. Right. That he only gives, he never takes. Right. Would it, would it be good and maybe helpful to put it this way that it's the persons who do the acting, but uh, it's the nature that determines the power okay. of acting? Yeah. So, so yeah. The, That's good, yeah. Yeah. So. The, the nature describes whether or not they have active or passive potency and how much they Right. So, so I'm, I promise you I'm getting there. Um, I'm hoping that um, in all this, uh, in my terrible attempt to illustrate this, that it'll come together here pretty shortly. Uh, if it doesn't, then, yeah, I don't know. We'll just, we'll just have to uh, chalk it up to mystery, I guess. Um, so, um, as an illustration... As an illustration. I gave one that Hal gave before, but as an illustration. Um, 
as human beings, we can be acted upon in various ways, but one of the, one of the ways that I think of that's most relevant to, to us in this setting is that, well, I guess I would ask it as a question. Do all human beings, by virtue of their nature, by virtue of what they are, being human, um, have the ability to receive grace, even saving grace? Yeah. So we have the passive potency to receive the grace of God. Okay? Everybody with me? Where was I going with that? <laughs> right, right, right. So, but <laughs> that's different, for example, of me having the, the, the power to speak or something like that. That would be, you could, you could make different layers of that active, active power, but I have the power to speak, but that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily speaking. Okay, so that would be a, a form of active potency. And that's proper to my nature as a human being to speak. Okay. Hopefully that's clear as mud. Um, so let me ask something else then. And this is in contrast to passive potency and the reason why I bring up the grace thing. What about, what about prayer? What about prayer? We, we, we've already said that God does not have any passive potency in him. Yet we pray to him. So what about prayer? And I'm and, and and I know this raises all sorts of questions. Please, let's focus in on what does that do to God? I've I know I've inadvertently initiated a rabbit hole probably in many minds now, but when he raises people up to pray for his will to which has already been determined. And if we will not do it, he will call the rocks out. So, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's saving me right now. She's saving me. Um, you know, so, so the point I'm trying to make, though, like as many questions as that could raise, um, is that prayer doesn't change God. Okay? It doesn't. Um, if we're going to affirm a God that does not change, we have to, we have to say that that even prayer that we that he commands us to pray does not change him. Okay. Now, saying that we can see that God is not in the least affected by his creation in any sense. Um and well, I mean just in other words, God God does not and God does not relate to us in the same manner that we relate to him. And that was again the analogy that I was trying to trying to put forward. I think I got ahead of myself there, so I'm sorry. Um, but, but God does not relate to us in the same manner that we relate to him. He does relate to us. He does. But like the hand on the desk, he doesn't receive anything from it because he does not contain passive potency. It's his nature to not have that. That's a, the best way I can say it. Um, so, uh, well, this brings us to a distinction then, I think, that we ought to make concerning the person of Christ. The communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. And again, we are getting to the person of Christ, but it's relevant to it. It's going to be very relevant to this. So what are the communicable attributes, or what is a communicable attribute? You don't have to name them all. So, 
No, 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 go ahead. I just was writing communicable. Right. Okay. So examples? Mercy. Mercy. Yeah, I mean, intelligence, love, you know, whatever would, justice. yeah, all those things. Um, these are the, again, like, like how I was saying, like, these are the attributes that we have that are like God, yet, and it's important to make this distinction too, we have them in a finite sense. So God is those things, okay, as we said when we talked about simplicity. But we have them in the sense that they're, that they're predicated of us, meaning that we love in a finite sense. We, and we have that love because it's communicated to us, again, received from a divine source. Does everybody follow and track with me there? Okay. In other words, communicable attributes have the source and the divine, and we likewise. And this, this is what it is. I mean, if you, if you really think about it, this is what it is. A way to put it, I would say, of being in the image of God, wouldn't you say? As being able to participate, in a sense, um, in the life that God gives us. Okay, I feel like I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but, you know, I'm going to blame it on dry mouth or something. Um, But then there's also the what attributes? Incommunicable. I'm not going to write attributes again. Okay. So incommunicable attributes. And those are what kind of attributes? Omnipresence, omnipotence. omnipotence. Yeah. The things that can only be predicated of the divine. Things we do not have like God. Okay. This should be obvious. So they're only predicated of the divine essence. So you name some. um, We're not omnipresent. Uh, We're not... um, you know, all powerful. We are not um, immutable, so on and so forth. Yeah, we're not assay. Um, we're not any of the things that would be predicated of the divine. So, here's the question: How then do we talk about this appropriately with regards to Christ? So that's where it gets tricky, right? I think it could, if it doesn't get tricky to you, then you should be up here, not me. Um, <laughs> Because wouldn't he be subject to this same distinction, being both God and man? Yeah? So the emphasis on the distinctness of the nature itself. Yeah, so that's why we were talking about what is proper to the nature regarding potency. So we've seen how that starts to connect a little bit, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, so let's remember, let's remember... So, connecting to what we've already said about active and passive power, um, we would say this. These properties, the properties that which can be communicated, so we're talking about the distinction between the communicable and the incommunicable, the properties that can be communicated from the divine nature to the human nature of Christ is based on, and you said it, Seth, the capacity or potency 
of the nature to receive them. Okay. So, here's what one of my favorite um, 16th century Italian uh, Reformed theologians says on the matter, or he says concerning this. He says, Peter Martyr Vermigli, by the way. Um, he says, I confess that immortality, light, glory, and so forth, which the human nature is capable of receiving, are communicated to it. But the other attributes, such as eternity, immensity, and ubiquity, since the human nature cannot receive them, cannot be communicated to it. So, so you see he has a working knowledge of what a nature is and what it's capable of, okay, and what makes the thing what it is, all right? In other words, there are, when we speak of Christ, we can speak of certain attributes that are communicated to the human nature really, or another, you know, I love the, I love the term, metaphysically, and those that are communicated merely verbally, okay, merely something that we say that's proper to it, but... And I'll go into this in a minute. Okay. So this is the basis for what Reformed theologians call the communicable and incommunicable attributes, um, as we've already discussed. Um, I don't know if you see this yet, and I'm hoping that you see it here in a minute, uh, but these distinctions that are being made, especially by uh, Vermigli, as I quoted, um, assume a terminative assumptive model of the hypostatic union. Huh? They don't what that one. Yes. Yes. So we say that the, per- the divine person of the Son completes the human nature or terminates the human nature and brings the human nature to completion rather than the union of the natures making a product of the person of Christ. Does that make sense? So you have the joining of the natures that doesn't, that doesn't produce the person of Christ. Rather, the, the divine person of the Son assumes the human nature and gives that human nature its personhood. Everybody's going, okay, if you say so. Um, No, please. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how we draw that. So. Uh, I'm doing my best not to. Uh, yeah. No, we're not even going to do a statement. We're not that. Uh, <laughs> no images of Christ. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is divine person. Yeah. And it's the creative act. Bring forth. That is a human nature, but I'm not just uh, describing who it is. And so it's the divine person bringing forth through the creative act. That divine person is also supplying personhood. That's the main thing. Personhood, right? And it's the second person in particular. No. Uh, of the son. And so it's the creative, and it's just this continual giving forth of his creative, active, active potency by which the human is passively created. Yep. 
this is termative assumption, right? Rather than where it's the uh, the two fourth is the divine plus human equals you know Christ, the person. Right. Where what that is doing when we add to the divine, we're actually saying that this actually has, in some sense, passive potency, which is not what we want to affirm. That's the idea. It's as simple as that. Is this? Christ was not complete, or Christ was not Christ before the human. Yeah, um, the, I don't really like to use the terminology of Christ because that refers well, to his incarnate the person, son, the, the son eternal son, son of God. Yes. The son yeah. the, the yeah. He's always been, yeah, and he's always had the plenitude of life. He's all, never had active potency. He is very God, very God. But in the particular creative act where the divine person supplies his own personhood to uh, this passive potency creaturely humanity, that is where he brings forth and gives forth his divine person. And honestly, we can keep going because it's not only that, but the Father and the Spirit actually also bring forth. Yeah, we could talk about appropriations and missions if we want, but that's a whole other thing. I know that's all we're drawing, but you'll survive. Yeah, yeah. He, he creates the very nature that he assumes and not like that there's a union thereof. So, thanks, Hal. Does I appreciate that help? Does that help? Kind of, what Richard just said helped. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, I'm can, you say, can you say that again? I said, so, so he creates the very nature that he assumes. And, and so by assuming it supplies, gives personhood to the nature. Yeah, so Jesus didn't have a nose. He didn't have a soul before he was that's the idea. Yeah. Uh, everything that makes us human at the incarnation, that most wonderful event, God, this, God uh, the Holy Trinity, brought forth a human nature, and in particular, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, gave forth his person and terminated, brought it to completion, uh, the human nature, and joined, it, and joined it to himself. That's the idea. That's the terminative model. That is a little bit clunky language, and I'm sure that you can clean that up. But it's ultimately, that, that's too simply what we need. We yeah. just want to avoid the language of addition, subtraction, etc. Because then that would say something about the divine nature that we don't necessarily want to end up with. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's really what's all And maybe those are terms I should have introduced before active and passive potency because no. they really help with that. I think that helps. That helps me. Well. I feel like... Uh, I feel, uh, well, I'm not going to say I feel. Anyway. Um, okay. So let me give you some examples of this. Um, if someone will please read 1 Corinthians 2.8. And here's an, these are examples of how the attributes are communicated verbally, not really or metaphysically. Okay. And here we're communi- communicating them from the human nature to the divine. Okay. So 1 Corinthians, so I'm kind of setting you up here. 1 Corinthians 2.8. So whoever wants to read that, go right ahead. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 2.8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not crucify the Lord of glory. Okay. How can the Lord of glory be crucified? Yeah. Okay. Acts 20.28.
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now, how does God, who is immaterial, have blood? Okay. So we see a communication of attributes so far. They're being said about, the, about somebody who is human and being attributed to the divine. To the divine. But that, that attribution, that communication is a verbal one, not a real metaphysical one. Anyway, okay, so John eight fifty eight, last one. This one's especially relevant, I think, to what we were just talking about. Hmm. That's a pretty good one. The human nature of Christ did not exist before Abraham. Right? Yet, the person who was speaking these words in his flesh did. That's what, again, we call a verbal communication or a verbal distinction in the communication of the properties. Okay? But, even though they're just verbal, even though they're just verbal... They are yet true because, because the person of Christ possesses all the properties of each nature and is the proper subject of those natures. Okay. In other words, when we usually speak of the communicato idiomatum or the communication of the natures or properties, we are affirming with the rest of the Reformed Orthodox that there are some properties... Very important here. Quoting from Vermigli. There are some properties which are predicated of the subject or person and suit it, but are not really communicated to both natures. As we, I hopefully, just have shown. Okay? Theodoret of Cyrus, 5th century A.D., says, What is proper to the nature turns out to be common to the person. But this is to be noticed that a confusion of names does not result in a confusion of natures. Everybody with me? Okay. So with that said, you might be saying, um, this is too much, please stop. Um, No, you might be saying this is all fine and well, but how is it then that both natures are proper to one subject? Okay, how are both natures proper to one subject, especially given that the incommunicable attributes are proper to the divine nature only? Glad you asked. Um, And again, this is where your hypostatic union knowledge comes back into the picture again. So again, when we talked about terminate assumption, keep that in mind. But I'll just state the phrase erase here. Thanks, Hal. (laughs) <laughs> we should really already have our answer, right? Yeah. Huh? So, okay. Hold on. How is it how, how is it that Christ exists especially during his incarnational time here? 
with these two natures, and how did those look or are exercised in Scripture? Well, yes. Um, I guess what I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm sort of begging the question here. Um, um, the term that we use for how Christ exists in his incarnation it would be a wonderful term called the extra-Calvinisticum. Has anybody turned, heard that term before? Okay, I'm not going to, literally translated, don't worry about that. Um, it just simply means that Christ in his incarnation exists beyond the flesh. Okay? Does it make sense as to why? Yeah, because, yeah, so the divine attributes, the incommunicable attributes, yeah, can't be communicated to the human nature, right? Yeah, so it just simply means Christ exists beyond the flesh. So we can easily and logically say then that though a difference in something like spatial dimension, okay, spatial dimension, We're talking about omnipresence here in this case. Spatial dimension exists between Christ's humanity and his deity. Okay? So keep those in mind. It doesn't follow, it doesn't follow that the indissoluble bond between those natures is any way adversely affected. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that when Christ was teaching in Galilee, he was not at the same time teaching in Jerusalem. Okay? Yet... As the, as the omnipresent or immense son, he is present everywhere. So you're saying he physically, his physical human body was not in two places at once, but where he was sitting there preaching, that's why he could see Philip coming before he got there. That's a, that, I actually have that illustration. No, I didn't. This is what, this is why I don't share it with her. See, this is why I don't share, I don't, I'll I'll say stuff about, I I don't keep her in the complete dark, but I don't like give stuff like this out so that, so that she can't do this. (laughs) Yeah, so the question is, how can we say that Jesus, you know, is, is, is located spatially somewhere beyond the fig tree that Philip was sitting under, yet could see Philip sitting under the fig tree? Yeah, I knew that was good. I had that on here too. So I, you know what? Somebody else. No, no, it's not. Please, um, no. I'm saying I'm glad. Like, like I'm glad we're connecting the dots. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So. And, The Olivet Discourse. When he's talking about, he says, Jesus says, nobody knows the day or the hour. He's speaking according to his human nature, not according to his divine nature. Yeah. And he even says that concerning himself in that very same discourse. Yep. He's not yet the son of man knows. Yeah. Um, in other places. Yeah. So how can he say that if he was omniscient? Well, clearly, 
God, the eternal Son of God, does know. But the human person, according to his human mind, as we talked about, he was ignorant because it had not yet been revealed to him. And so this connects back to Jesus was a true prophet, is that he received revelation. Yes, even though he was God himself, he received revelation, just like all the Old Testament prophets of old, is that he was revealed to God in his human nature. Okay, makes me happy. Um, so, I, I really, I don't know what else to say. Um, so, <laughs> in other words, we should affirm, given that the person of Christ possesses both incommunicable and communicable attributes, that he exists beyond the flesh. And you can see why. Go ahead. Separating his natures appropriately, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. almost makes his the acts that he did on earth more cherishable. Yes. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously God can do all things. He can resist temptation. He can do all these things that Jesus did. But... Yes. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, that's one, that's, that's beautiful. And yes, like, I mean, when we read the book of Hebrews and we read that he was making all manners like us yet without sin. Regarding his nature, there's nothing there that's sinful. It's perfect as far as his humanity goes. Um, but he really was externally tempted by this fallen world, by Satan himself. Okay? And yes, like you said, that's, that's a real incarnation. He didn't just get his divine power to come in and sweep it off. No. But he was faithful to the very end. That's the joy here. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm, you know, I'm going, I know, a little to the side here, but that's why we do say, and we have to say, that Christ has not one will, but two. Not one mind, but two. Because if he just has one mind, like Hal's saying, then, well, we're just predicating divinity, and we're saying, well, okay, I mean, no surprise, great. He's not really like us in that sense. And I'm... Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and so that's why when we, uh, hopefully in the next couple of lessons, when we talk about Christ's mediatorship, that's, that's where really the application and all this and all this hard work that you guys have so wonderfully tolerated my, uh, me on um, uh, applies. So um, I, I consider this, this lesson a success then, even though it started out pretty rough. So um, that, that, that's, 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 really, um, that's really all I was going to say. I guess the, just one little nuance would be the extra-Calvinistic or Christ existing beyond the flesh uh, inherently accepts, again, the terminative view, but it accepts that the person of Christ, instead of being a product of that union, just want to reiterate, uh, a product of the two unions is, is the subject of it, okay? is the subject of the union. That's important to understand because everything you're saying coincides with that. Congratulations. Um, uh, yeah, that's wonderful. So, who wants to pray? Can I give just yeah. a little bit of what we got to The Son of God who is upon that 